Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is one of our clients, Seal City. I have with me Frankie Spires and Ferry Hunt. Frankie and Ferry are co-founders of Seal City, and they've gone through a very interesting 2020. They're in the tourism space, putting their own spin on the tourism world. But because of the COVID pandemic, I thought it'd be interesting to bring them onto the podcast and describe all of the ways in which they've had to adapt their business to essentially serve a virtual world. So Frankie and Ferry, welcome to you. Hello, Scott. How are you? Thank you. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, No problem at all. I'm really looking forward to having a discussion with you both. So just to start off, can you introduce yourselves to our listeners? And on that note, feel free to share anything that you want to share in respect of company goals or mission statements that you might have at Seal City. So um, my name is Frankie. I am the co-owner of Seal City. We do walking tours, driving tours, food tours all across the UK. And uh, recently we've been doing online tours, including online shows. And Ferry, how about yourself? Yeah, so... The most recent, I suppose, developments that we've had are that uh, we're the only company doing tours in the UK in five different languages. From there, we've developed coach tours, food tours, and yeah, like Frankie says, uh, recently online tours as well. Uh, We've been producing, writing, and directing online shows too, because we used to uh, write comedy shows previous to uh, the lockdown as well. So we've really enjoyed that. Okay, that's interesting. So uh, I want to go back to the heart of what Seal City is and how you've had to adapt over this last year. But before we do that, I am interested in that that writing aspect. So you both have written together just individually or both together on pilots was, and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, it was both together. So previous to this, we had a lot of time on our hands running with this and we thought we might take a course in writing, specifically sitcom writing. And we got really into it, actually, not realizing we would. We thought it'd just be a hobby, but we ended up writing a show and we uh, produced it and directed it together and put it on in London. And yeah, it sold out. It was doing really well. And it really gave us a taste for writing generally. But yeah, I think specifically comedy. Really enjoyed that. It was quite funny, really, because, um, you know, we'd done a lot of script writing before that, but it was script writing for tours for various different companies and so forth. And with tourism and with tours, it's like they can be a bit dry. You know, they, they can lack that creativity. It can be a bit 
man stares at wall and reads out dates, you know. So um, actually in doing that sitcom script, it was really, really nice to then bring that frivolity and that creativity into the, the tourism scripts. And, and actually, um, a lot of our tours do have a lot of personality on, on the back of, of that kind of writing. So uh, it was a really useful exercise and, and great fun to be doing it with one of your best pals. So, so you start out in 2017 as a walking tour company, but you're taking all of that kind of enthusiasm for writing and for comedy into the tourism market because you've spotted a gap in maybe the tone of tourism. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the um, hurdles we had was that our main selling product was actually uh, related to Harry Potter. And at the time, and still I think, it's usually children or young adults that are into Harry Potter, but it's the parents that are buying the tickets. And so we had to create products and events that would appeal to the parents, but also to the children who would eventually be coming along on the tours because kids, toddlers, don't tend to have PayPal and can't buy their own tickets. So you have to tend to their parents too. So we really had to develop something that sort of saw entertaining uh, entertainment value for the parents and the children. And so, yeah, we sort of brought that comedy writing in there, hiding jokes within it, much like uh, Simpsons might do, but not nowhere as good and making it much more interactive, putting games in and stuff like that. That's the walking tour world, and you're flourishing in the walking tour world from 2017 through to, I assume, early 2020, and then the pandemic hits. It's a horrible thing to bring up to say, okay, how did you feel when the pandemic hit? Because it was miserable for everyone. Mm. But the purpose of this episode is to figure out, well, what were some of the lessons that you learned through that experience? So am I right in saying, just to jog my memory, that, up until the pandemic, did you have virtual tours in place already? So we didn't have any ready, but we, they were in development because we've recently been to a rather large exhibition in, um, it was in Berlin called the Arrival Exhibition. And I discovered that there was nothing to do for people with hearing difficulties, but also with visual difficulties as well. The only thing one can do, it seems, is join a, a private group and set yourself up to the uh, British Museum or something and take a special either death-friendly or partially sighted-friendly tour, but there wasn't really anything specifically for them. We'd already developed five languages uh, into our products, and we thought, why not develop something that's friendly, first and foremost, to the deaf, and then generally just to people that can't come to the UK. So we started developing the virtual tours for people that could come from abroad or for whatever reason couldn't get to London. That's interesting. So I hear a lot about companies that have had to accelerate certain aspects of their business because of the pandemic, or they've just, they've had this thing in the background in their businesses, and then it's brought that to the surface because of the pandemic. And it sounds like that's a similar thing here is that your intention wasn't actually anything to do with the pandemic. It was to do with accessibility, as you've just said. But perhaps when the pandemic hit, you already had some experience in building a virtual tour, knowing what goes into that process to then accelerate that part of your business. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that's right. And so thinking back, taking yourselves back to then when the pandemic hit, what were some of the logistical considerations at that time? Maybe the technical considerations as well. Talk me through that process. Well, I mean, the, the, the first thing we had to do, I mean, Ferry had kind of come back from arrival earlier in the year and kind of said that about this <laughs> this platform Zoom, you know, and, and 
And he basically, the first thing we had to do was just get to grips with that. Uh, we needed to then train about 40 guides on how to use it. So it was really important that we got to sort of got to grips with the platforms and firstly, see its limitations, really. I mean, Zoom and any virtual tool, they, they are limited in that respect. So you really have to apply as much imagination as possible just to kind of see where you can take it and see what you can do within that one hour on that platform. So that was, that was the first big thing we did was just to sort of get to grips with it ourselves before then teaching everyone else. And can I just say at this point, our guides who were working for us were just, they were unbelievable. They, I mean, we had a meeting and they were so open-eared and just brave in, in yep, we'll try this, yep, we'll try this, yep, we'll try this. And within a week, we were actually running our first Jack the Ripper tours and our uh, and our ghost tours. I mean, it, it, it was difficult in terms of reviews at times. Um, just as as you're trying anything, we did have one or two reviews come in, being like, "Oh, well, this, you know, wasn't what I was expecting." People, are, you know, with the word "virtual," you know, some people mm. are expecting this VR <laughs> headsets, like kind of yeah. virtually going around. You know, it was only a fiver for a ticket at the beginning and stuff. So there was a few trial and errors. But within two weeks, all of the guides were on top of it. We, it was selling quite nicely, and, and we were kind of uh, good to go. And it, it was really exciting at the beginning, wasn't it, Ferry, the, sort of the launch of all of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it opened doors, if anything. There were limitations, but at the same time, we could do so much more because on the majority of our experiences in real life or offline experiences, we're reliant on tablets and iPads and stuff to show video footage and so on or interactive elements but of course if you're sat at a computer and your customers are also sat at a computer you've got more opportunity to interact and show video footage in more exciting ways than just in the rain on an ipad in the shadow of a building sort of thing so yeah it was limiting but also liberating in a weird yeah there's lots i want to break down from this part of the conversation the first thing i'm interested in is uh you were saying there that there was lots of you guys having to use zoom to start with before you could then teach other people how to use it. And I think that's something we're probably all going through at the moment, whether it's Slack, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, and other different conferencing software. You know, everyone's having to learn different ways of communicating. So were there were there lots of back and forth conversations and Zoom conversations between you guys learning how to use things, learning how to do things? Yeah, I mean, there, there was plenty of, you're on mute. You're on mute. You're on mute. <laughs> I mean, we still have that now, you know. Every single meeting that Ferry and I yeah. starts with, Frankie, you're on mute. <laughs> you know, that's the first. Uh, so, um, I mean, in all honesty, there was so many different types of Zoom. We we were wondering at first whether to use that kind of Zoom webinar, but then we decided that's more of a lecture field. You know, the audience wouldn't have their camera on; it wouldn't be interactive. So, we we kind of just went for the basic, and it, it was a very different style of presenting we had to kind of get to grips as well because obviously you're talking to someone in their front room with their cup of tea, you know, they might have someone on in the background. If you're giving it that level of performance that you would do standing on the streets of London, then you, you're just going to overwhelm them. So um, mm. it was kind of the technical and the creative. And we, we, we did have plenty of Zoom meetings with all of our staff where it was just like, this is working, this works, this works, how to present this, how to present that. But Zoom actually is quite a friendly platform. And but Zoom was forever changing as well. So it was kind of everybody at that point back in March was sort of the blind, was leading the blind a little bit. But, um, yeah, we got there. You know. The other big thing we had to think about as well, which is a bit of a weird one, is that obviously we've been doing at this point three years of walking tours. And, of course, you'd have more than one person on a walking tour. And so the customers would all see each other. That seems like an irrelevant point. 
But when you're doing a virtual tour online using Zoom, there are children that are joining in on one camera and then there could be, you know, someone three times their age on another sort of camera window and so on. And it's not something we'd had to consider before. But now, having been prompted by some parents and some of the adults involved in our virtual products, we're alerted that it's something we should be considering. Should you allow children to effectively webcam themselves within a virtual event? And so we had to do some control over that. But yeah, that, that was a really weird sort of conversation we had to have. The, the tricky things have been as well is that when we built the company, we went from, well, three members of staff to 80 in a very short period of time. And the company was all about the staff. We had loads of socials, lots of training days to sort of enrich their lives inside and outside of tourism. And those sort of true long-built relationships have been through the same trials as everyone else's sort of relationship. So now training has to be online, socials are online, and you know, you're cheersing your screen with a can of beer. And so we've been very lucky to hold the enthusiasm, like Frankie says, of this huge and now transatlantic team. In that respect, actually, because even though, you know, perhaps the government was a little bit slow, I mean, we had a lot of guides who were Italian. So they kind of gave us this heads up on what the pandemic was like. We were new to trials and tribulations of what was going on in Italy before it came to the UK. So that kind of almost gave us the heads up. I mean, we were by no means shocked or surprised when we went into lockdown. It was almost like, you know, it was almost like we three weeks ahead every time, which quite grateful for really in a, in a sense because uh, it was meant we could roll out as soon as lockdown was, was, was in. Yeah, there are a few things that you said there, which are really, I mean, number one, it's just uh, definitely a big shout out to your tour guides because it sounds like they were a huge part of making that transition to creating virtual tours a lot easier and they were really willing and enthusiastic to do that. So that sounds like an amazing part of it. One question I wanted to ask as part of that, do you remember having to do anything specifically to motivate them or to put them at ease in terms of creating and putting their persona across in this in this online world it's a ton really because um what we used to say with the walking tours was that look your responsibility is to if it's a food tour give these customers a bit of food but mostly keep them in good company if you're hiring a tour guide if you wanted a tour guide in another country and we did a bit of market research if you want a tour guide in your own country whatever you're generally looking for someone that you get on with. You're not interested in the true depths of their knowledge of the nearest public toilets and Starbucks. You want to know that you're going to have a, a laugh with them. And so we said the same with the virtuals as well. Look, these people coming onto your virtual event are unlikely to be here purely to learn about Jack the Ripper for their dissertation. They're probably in part coming on just to have a bit of a laugh. And so just be at ease, be yourself. We've hired you because we know you can be entertaining. Just do that online. But it's definitely been really tricky to people as it's all effectively remote hiring. You've got to infuse and evaluate prospective employees over Zoom, which is quite a difficult thing to do, but we do manage. And what are some of the most difficult aspects of that? Kind of frequent obstacles that came in from either your tour guides or from customers in that period that stand out to you? Well, one major one, I suppose, was that when we hired the 86 staff, which we're very grateful to still have, we hired them because, like I said, they're sort of super entertaining and very knowledgeable about a particular subject and they're flexible. 
But now there's a new criteria that's unfortunately more important almost than any of the others within our staff pool, and that is tech capability and then tech ability as well. And so I suppose the most frequent hurdle that we've seen has been, you know, the guides for whatever reason. We all know how how sort of fickle Zoom can be, are unable to start the event or struggle midway through the event with either their audio or visual. That's been a major hurdle. But on top of that, when customers are unable to join for whatever tech issue that they're having, that's, of course, projected to be our responsibility, despite it not being at all. We're not PC world. you know. We're not Apple geniuses. But now we do have to become somewhat of a tech company, and that seems to be a, a weekly thing, just getting emails or calls saying, I can't join, and so you have to talk them through that. So that's been an ongoing thing. I mean, the way that we've rectified that has only been creating simple tutorials online, simple video tutorials and stuff for customers to use so it's a little easier and making our system easier to use but there's another way to solve it end of the day the majority of the world are technophobic it appears no that's really interesting that you said that because i haven't thought about that sorry frankie were you yeah gonna... we, we uh, you know on top of that we had a lot of time zone issues to begin with when the u.s went into lockdown we started to get um, a lot of american people uh, kind of <laughs> american people americans um <laughs> and, and you know it was just a problem where because people would phone up and be like well it says the tour starts at 12 and it was just an oversight on our on our part you know mm. it's sort of the downfall to our own success that we weren't putting 12 uk time you know and they're you know phoning from la or new york at like you know you get phone calls at six in the morning of somebody waiting for a magical film tour of london you know and, and it was kind of um you know it's just so many different things that we just had to think about you know, we're so used to dealing with tourists, people who have actively gone out, booked a holiday, gone to a city, booked a tour within that city, all of those logistics to people who don't travel, who perhaps, you know, are a bit older or never used a computer, this, that, and the other. So, you know, it, it was difficult, but um, we got there, definitely. Yeah, that's the thing. And you find yourself having to email them back and saying, oh, your Scotland tour that's based in Scotland and is about oh. Scotland is in Scotland time zone. <laughs> Try not to sound too uh, rude about it. Yeah, no, there's some really interesting points that you discussed there. And one that I hadn't really reflected on or thought too much about was the, uh, I think you described it as technical capabilities. So the actual physical hardware or software that people have. And, you know, I'm pretty tech savvy. So I'm, I've probably got a bit of ego attached to that in that I don't really think about it. And actually, it's important just for listeners of this show and people, you know, everyone's adapting to working from home. I guess we've got to take the, the tech savvy people out there, got to take a bit of a step back and realize that not everyone's in the same boat. And you might have to think about how people are accessing all the stuff that we do from audio to video and make sure that particularly for remote employees, you've got people set up with the right gear to actually be successful from home. Because we all know how annoying that can be when, again, whether you're tech savvy or not, if you have a tech problem, how irritating that can be. I've had it with podcasting in this period where software just hasn't worked one day as it should. And it really makes a big impact to my week because I have to go through rescheduling and stuff like that. So I think that's one that's one big thing that stands out to me. Absolutely. The um yeah, so the tour guides, some of them just don't have the sort of enough computer power to run it. But there is a new thing out called Shadow, which is basically remote streaming a computer, which is something we've been looking into. So basically you get a Paris-based 
top spec PC that you can stream from your own house. And so your computer at home, even if it's from, you know, 1980, well, actually not, but, you know, if it was from 2000, can run most powerful stream as long as it's got a five megabyte internet speed. So that would be something that really bring everyone's tech capability into one place. It's called shadow.tech. Oh, brilliant. I've never heard of that. That's interesting. Thanks for that. It's a great tip. And I, I kind of wanted to touch back on, you were saying you were describing someone that's maybe sitting at home wanting to attend a tour, uh, but they're sitting there maybe with their cuppa. They've got you know people kicking about the, their house and you've got to find a way to keep them engaged in this different way. So I'm interested to know the techniques that you and your tour guides are applying during these tours to keep people engaged. As some of that comes back to essentially what you were describing at the beginning about writing together, I guess you've you've had to find ways to adjust from walking tours to virtual tours to yeah keep people hooked throughout that entire hour. An hour to me doesn't sound like too much, but actually when you sit down and got to keep people's attention these days for an hour, I imagine that's quite difficult. Yeah, I mean th- th- Certainly, when we start to do the online shows, you almost have to write the audience in as a character of themselves. Mm. So you're writing for the tour guide, but you're also writing for them. We always said to them from the off, this cannot have the feel of a lecture. It just can't. Otherwise, it's just going to become a little bit too dry and it's just not going to have, it's just not going to have the pull of the USP uh, to, to get people in. So it's kind of ensuring that, you know, things are there, such as, I don't know, bits of trivia you know, reenactments, uh, immersive elements, you know, different rounds, constantly thinking of things that we can give them so that it almost becomes like a play that the, the audience play in their own role. Some, some uh, tours have worked better at it than others. So, for example, our Shakespeare tour of Italy, that lends itself as a topic very nicely to the customers. There is so much you can give them in terms of different parts of text, you know, different, uh, different characters from the plays. You can, you can read bits from, from certain scenes and so forth. And we have found that audiences, they, that similar as the theatre, they, they can come in different energies. So you can do one where everybody in the room will be up for it. You'll be getting the energy from them. And then sometimes you can tell within the 30 seconds, okay, they don't want to play today. Let's maybe not introduce them to this part. Let's not introduce them to that part, you know, um, and let's just sort of see how we can roll that way. So, um, so yeah, that, in answer to your question, that, that's a big one, really. Just right at the beginning, always keep them in mind. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone has to communicate differently um, via these Zoom calls, these MS Teams calls, and get their personality across. And actually, in any line of business, you've got to keep the other the other people engaged on the other side of the computer. I read this tip the other day about. So I'm terrible at this. I go on a Zoom call and I never stare at the camera. I'm always looking off, doing something else. And I was reading about, in terms of communication, the importance of looking to the camera. And so there was a tip to put two little fake eyes right next to either side of your camera. And if you focus on those, that will keep you focused on engaging the users on the other side of things, which I thought was really interesting. The whole point of Um, Zoom is to look at yourself, isn't it? Look at your little video representation in the corner. That's what I do. That's what I do. Uh, and I feel like I might be the only one, but I'm glad you said that. That makes me, makes me feel a bit more comfortable. But no, uh, that's really interesting about uh, different techniques to keep people engaged. And, and are there any things that you've seen from other companies that are running different types of online events that you've thought are really interesting ways to keep users engaged? I mean, I suppose other companies may have developed different kinds of tech for interactivity. So I know there's a company that have built from scratch, although they were using previously for their offline events, uh, an app. And so there are companies that have apps where instead of us perhaps using a poll or using a scoreboard within the Zoom screen or whatever, they'll direct you to uh-huh. their app and then you can enter answers or you know do interactive games within that. So there are certainly companies that have developed further in the sort of tech world, but they've kind of limited themselves at the same time, whereas we're building tools that we can use for all of our products and then building products around these tools. Other companies have gone, right, we've got this product. Let's put everything into it. Let's train loads of people on it. And then let's hope we can sell it, whereas we're trying to be a bit more broad because we have found that previously with the offline experiences you can build something great and then just live off it for ages uh, live off is a bit tacky but you know prosper from it for ages whereas nowadays with online events you need to be churning out new uh, new entertainment all the time new products all the time to keep people interested because you wouldn't watch the same friends episode on netflix over again you'd want something fresh eventually and so we're having to um yeah, create new stuff all the time, which is quite different for us. I mean, that's that's another thing. We, we went and looked through um, all of our past customers, and it's amazing just how many other tour companies and virtual companies have been in our products, you know. So um, it, it's like, for example, we launched a murder mystery way back in, in April. It was a murder mystery based on Tiger King, um, you know, the, the, the Netflix show. And um, it, was, it did, did really, really well. And then all of a sudden, about kind of three weeks later or so forth, you, you can see there are murder mysteries across every single theme that's been covered, from Strictly Come Dancing through to stuff like chocolate, you know, murder, the murder mystery at Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, just because people had said, right, okay, I, I've seen the format, I know the format, let's just change the, change the theme. And, uh, and then as soon as that became saturated, we thought, right, I think it's time to sort of investigate other shows that we can, and, and, and that's kind of what we did. Yeah, absolutely. It's made it a little bit more difficult now because in the old days, you would have competitors going on your walking tours or on your food events, whatever, and you'd see that they'd booked and then you'd sort of wink at them when they join your tour and you say, oh, hello, 
hello, Mr. Competitor. But now, of course, with Zoom, it's much more easy to be anonymous. We've noticed dozens and dozens of competitors joining our experiences and then going on to do very similar things themselves. But I imagine those dozens that we've noticed are indicative, just the tip of the iceberg because of the anonymity that's possible online. You get something like Betsy at onlineevents.com has joined your online event. And then you check out Betsy a week later and she's doing her own thing. So it is a lot more competitive, yeah. but it's good because it keeps us on our toes. Yeah, like who could be? Who could this mysterious person be? It's uh, yeah. Um, so I've forgotten. I don't think I've ever discussed this with you both. But um, we this podcast was reviewed by Carol Baskin. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, you know yeah. That. I only mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one, so uh, I'm never, I'm never going to have another opportunity to share that on the podcast. I don't think there's ever going to be a natural link. So uh, <laughs> yeah, new news this, about this podcast, that every week it seems it's still a very fresh story. <laughs> And, and actually, one of the things that I just realized as you were talking and you mentioned Tiger King is I want to know a little bit more about the your process together and maybe share your process together, the virtual tours that you are creating in terms of themes. So can you provide any insight to listeners about how you were coming up with the themes for your virtual tours? Because that's a big part of keeping people well, engaged. I suppose too. the balance that one has to find is you've got to choose something that, let's say, is found on Google Trends favorably or is uh, being talked about a lot on you know social media such as a tv show like tiger king but you have to balance that with something that frankie and i are also very interested in as well otherwise we won't be able to necessarily very easily invest our interest and enthusiasm into the script about it as well so luckily we both really liked uh, tiger king and it was very popular which i suspect is why it did so well it's doing so well uh, 12 Angry Guests. We both love the film 12 Angry Men. And uh, we had a look online. And for whatever reason, Google Trends has been very favorable towards people searching for that film. We never figured out why. I think it's because it's recently become into the public domain. I'm not sure. And then mostly, most recently, rather, the custody suite that we've just launched is because Frankie and I's, I think, probably favorite TV show is 24 Hours in Police Custody. So we're able to tap into the true crime thing, which over the last, let's say, 10 years has been huge, but also into a TV show and format that we're absolutely in love with and know through and through. So we're very lucky to find these balances of things we love, but also everyone loves. Not that one should ever admit that they love something that the world loves, because <laughs> it doesn't show any personality whatsoever, does it? I mean, another thing is we've, we've got an extremely talented pool of actors. Uh, a lot of our tour guides, we're actors by trade. They're jobbing actors and doing a bit of tour guiding, you know, to coincide with that. So anything that we did that was part of the creative, it's very easy just to literally pick a team. From the morning, you could have the idea, ferry, ferry myself will thrash that out. Then in the afternoon, maybe give that to the actors. And then a week later, you've got your first rehearsal. So, um, you know, it's, 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 we're really fortunate in that respect. Yeah. Are there any parts of the process that you put that, uh, easier or more difficult than others so for example um there's a lot of i imagine research involved in that is that something you you really enjoy doing is yeah. that quite time intensive? yeah i think i don't think that for me anyway is the the big hurdle for for us the, the bit i really struggle with perhaps frankie will disagree is because of all because all of our experiences are immersive and interactive it's how hard to make them so for instance we recently mm. did a, a dickens experience called scrooge's quest the Christmas Carol, and it's selling incredibly well, and it gets rave reviews. 
but customers are saying that it's a little bit too tricky. But we had to find, again, that balance. If you're a Dickens fan and you want to go on a Dickens experience, then you must know quite a bit about Dickens. But it turns out a lot of people are joining it just because it looks good and don't know much about Dickens and so feel a a bit uh, of heart lost from getting some of the questions wrong. So, yeah, finding the balance on difficulty has been a hard thing for me. Funnily enough, that ties into something I wanted to ask next, which was feedback about customers and what they're looking for and what they're asking for in the future. So in terms of trends, are you seeing anything from customers in terms of, and this could be themes, it could be topics that people are looking to do online more. Uh, And the reason I say that is because I'm seeing, again, the, the same trend as you in the true crime area. And I think we've all seen that over the last decade, but it seems now to extend into things like virtual mm. tours, lectures. I've seen a lot of at-home kind of a combination of like hybrid online and board games. Are you seeing the same well, thing? I think that the tough feedback that we've received has generally been about the other customers. So like in real life, uh, not that we should call it that, that's a bit depressing, but previously with offline experiences, we'd have like a great level of crowd control that we train our tour guides to do. But over video platforms, you've got 20 people all struggling to operate the software and, you know, gabbling mic on, mic off. People are using our experiences, at least in part, as sort of regular socializing activities. So we've got the same couple of hundred people joining every week, doing different events, sometimes the same events, but sort of nattering at the same time. And we found that from feedback, what we should really be developing at least is something that facilitates discussion amongst the customers as well as the tour guide to the customers. More like um, the tour guide offers or the host offers a sort of discussion topic and then the customers can talk amongst themselves because they will be doing at least a certain amount of catching up. I mean, one of the things I think people are missing are from the office is not the conversations necessarily that they're having with other people, but just the fact that there are other people there. And so recently, I don't mind admitting, I've had my brother on Zoom some of the day, just in the corner. We barely talk a word to each other, but we both sort of feel like at least we're sat opposite each other in a coffee bar or something. So yeah, it's creating that facility for socializing within these events seems to be the biggest bit of feedback we've had. Yeah, that's difficult because you can't rely on your tour guides to be the moderator or the facilitator between people because they're very focused on their job. Uh, As we know, unfortunately, you probably can't rely too much on the customers alone to to moderate and facilitate conversations between them. So our latest product, Uh, uh, the custody suite, it opens up sort of discussion topics. It's something we've been toying with. So, for instance... Well, think of any political topic. Let's best not talk about it within this, but think of a political topic. Then the the host will, within the story, offer up a dichotomy that the customers then have to discuss themselves, and it gets the customers chatting generally. It facilitates that socialising by forcing them to talk about something, and they discover from each other their different points of view. So something that perhaps not everyone agrees on sort of thing. I think as well, it's kind of lent itself to the, the private pricing market. Uh, we've had an awful lot of inquiries, people saying, look, me and 10 friends want to do this. What, what, you know, what price can you do that for and so forth? So, you know, it, it does lend itself to social gatherings for different friendship groups, which is nice. I mean, a, another thing that we've kind of had to do over the, in terms of trends and stuff is, is bank things for 
when, if, well, no, when things go back to normal. Uh, I mean, Ferry and myself, you know, we're under no illusion that it's going to be a difficult few months for the for the sector, the, the tourism sector. However, it will be back eventually. And when it is back, the, the chances are people cannot wait to travel. So it's kind of banking things like, you know, Bridgerton is broken the Netflix record. They filmed that yeah. in London. Is there anything in that? The Royals have been quite busy, you know, with Harry and Meghan and, you know, all of the other stuff going off. So, you know, is is there anything that in that when, you know, when, when people are ready to travel again, what is it that, that people are going to want to see in London and, and want to do in London? So it's kind of keeping uh, an eye on the virtual products and making sure everything's relevant to that. But in, in the same breath, you know, we really need to start gearing ourselves up for the grand reopening uh, once all of this horrible time is over, whenever that may be. It's interesting that you mentioned Bridgerton there because there's one skill that you both seem to have, which again, I, I, I see I see some people with this skill and sometimes they don't even realise it's a skill, but it's just the, it's like an, a natural ability to spot trends and you guys seem to have that and then be able to discuss that together. I appreciate this is a difficult question to ask, but is there anything that you practically do to spot things? For example, you you knew that Bridgerton was the most popular show in Netflix right now, was at the biggest launch, and you've mentioned other things like Tiger King, and some of these things are obvious. You can go on Twitter, you can see what's trending, you can go on Netflix, see what's trending. Is there anything else that you guys do? Well, Google Trends is is pretty useful. Yeah, and then, I mean, Frankie and I don't have the most friends on Facebook, but we do have friends that tend to talk about the fairly obvious latest thing. And so it's good to just scroll down your news feed as well, see what people are talking about. Well, like if whatever idea Ferry comes to me, I will never, ever, ever say to him, no, that's, that's a rubbish idea. Like there's always, I mean, I've known him a long time and I know and trust that there'll always be an intelligence behind that idea. We won't just be, you know, we're not just <laughs> sitting there like, Thank you very much. <laughs> ditto, Frank, ditto, mate. You know, Mitchell and Webb doing that, you know, right, what, you know, the film, you know, where they're directing films and stuff, you know, it's not <laughs> yeah. scary. You know, there, there is often, we do talk about the business an awful lot, whether we're at lunch, whether we're on a room call, you know. So, uh, you know, and obviously this time has, has lent, this period has lent a lot of time for us to be creative and, and think. Uh, and I, I think that, that that definitely just like you say, stay alert, but also keep that open mind. You know, there, there might be something in anything, you know, whatever it may be. And actually, just on this topic about trends and improvements that you want to make, a bit of a loaded question, but can you maybe summarise some of the improvements that you're looking to make to your virtual tours, and alongside that? Uh, any sneak peeks of tours that you're planning on working on that might be of interest? Well, we're really pleased with the variety of experiences we currently have on offer. And in fact, talking about where we get our ideas from, you can get a lot of ideas from your previous products. So for instance, for some reason, Scottish events are really popular, specifically in French. And so that's something we could never have Googled. Shall we see what (laughs) Scottish people uh, think of the French and vice versa. You know, it's not something you really think of. So we've learned from that. But in terms of expansion now, we're talking experience experiences that might include a uh, delivered package, for instance. So if you were to take a virtual cheese crawl with us in the future, you'd be sent a package of cheese tasters and your host or cheese tour guide will walk you through the history and locations of each cheese over Zoom and sort of talk you through the food stuffs. 
Uh, we're working at the moment on expanding our subjects from Hollywood-based to Australia-based as well, because why not host a live tour of Hollywood Boulevard at 7 o'clock and then a tour of Sydney at 8 o'clock? You know, we've got all the tech in place and all the contacts necessary to do so, you know. Just in closing, any other examples of within it could be within tourism, but what I'm most interested in is you've talked a lot f- through this episode about kind of the considerations for customers and speaking to customers and really reassuring them and motivating them and engaging them in what you're doing. So have you seen any tourism companies that do have done that particularly well that you think, oh, they've done a really great job of adapting during the pandemic, adapting their messaging, reassuring customers, and that's going to bode well for them for the future? When the, In March, when we... Um when we found out about the pandemic and so forth, we had to do something like 15,000 cancellations, <laughs> you know, between March and the summer, just all of the summer trade. And I think that the companies that, that, that I've seen do well are how they have handled those cancellations and so forth. Um, you know, outside of the tourism, I'd booked a train ticket to go home. You know, I got the refund back within the week. I didn't have to ask for it or anything like that. And I know that sounds small and I know that sounds trivial, but you know i think in some instance people have tried to protect giving those refunds you know and i really feel that even though it was very very difficult to kind of make all of those cancellations we had to just say look we we will offer a refund to anybody to to do with this pandemic like whether you've booked the day before whether you've booked whenever the most important thing is that we are adaptable and i think in that short-term pain that will then get the customers to come back because they will know that okay this is a trusted company that even after this global pandemic they have handled you know my request the way our, our customer service has had to be on point 100 any company that overlooks that customer service at this time is not doing it right. If, if, if they can't speak to someone on the phone, then, you know, it is, it, people want that more than ever because, you know, the, the price of the pound's gone up. And it, it, it's just, you know, customer-facing in, in that respect is the most important thing for me. Yeah, yeah, agreed. That's perfect. That's a great note to close on and some great advice uh, and thinking there. So, but, but before I let you go, can you let our listeners know where they can find out more about you individually, see your city, and any final thoughts you want to share? You can reach us uh, as a duo, so to speak, on our website at seeyour.city. So send us an email if you just fancy a chat, because we've got a little bit of time on our hands. Or if you uh, can think of something you'd like us to launch that would be of interest to you, then we're open ears, ready to write. The numbers are manned 24-7, so keen to hear from you. Brilliant. Well, thanks for that, and take care. This has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.